Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Good morning. Isn't she pretty? (laughs) I know, right? I'm a, I'm a lucky man. <sighs> I just feel so good. I just feel so good. I'm just so thankful for the presence of the Lord this morning. Such a sweet time in worship. Would you pray with me um, as we just prepare for the word? Lord, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Oh, and if that were the only phrase that we were to say for the next our God, you would be worthy of it. You are so worthy to receive our affection because you gave everything. Lord, I ask that even in these next few moments, Lord, that you would confirm your word with signs and wonders, with power. God, I ask that the spirit of truth would pierce our hearts this morning. Lord, would you take us deeper into relationship with you? God, I ask for a deeper revelation of the love of God this morning beyond what we've ever felt or heard or known or experienced before, God. We want to go deeper with you. Lord, we thank you that you're so present, that you're so near to us, that you're so kind and gracious and merciful. And we thank you that as we draw near to you, you always promised that you would draw near to us. You said that if we seek you, we would find you and we seek you with all of our heart. And so Lord, this morning we give you our whole heart in pursuit of who you are. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is my favorite time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) We're not going to sing the song unless you really want to. Um, But it is. I love Christmas time. I love um, decorating the house. I love putting up the tree. We got a real tree this year. I've had a fake tree for the last few years. And so we got a real one. So our house smells nice. Um, It's just been, it's been an awesome season. And Christmas time is always so fun. I love decorating the house. I love, you know, um, presents. Who doesn't love presents? Um, I like Santa Claus. I'm one of, you know, don't judge me. We're, we're telling our kids about Santa Claus and, and, um, whatever. I love Christmas movies. You guys love Christmas movies. Hallmark channel. Come on. <laughs> come on, and praise him. Um, Hallmark channel, cheesy, cheesy Christmas flicks. Um, you got to watch Elf every Christmas, right? Home Alone, one and two. Come on. Somebody. Um, what, are, what are some other ones you guys like? Jack Frost. Jack Frost. Oh, I haven't seen that in years. Jack Frost. White Christmas, classic. It's a wonderful life. Jingle all the way. Put the cookie down. <laughs> that was terrible. 
Well, I love it. Um, this year, um, we're actually going home. I grew up in a real small town in South Dakota. So we're, my parents still live up there. So Kelly and I and the boys, we're going up to South Dakota this year. It's going to be a cold, snowy, wintry, white Christmas. And so we'll be thinking about you guys in the 80-degree weather in Florida while we go sledding. Um, what's that? Okay, 60 on Christmas. Okay. <laughs> um, you guys have any like weird Christmas traditions that you guys do? I'll tell you mine. Like growing up, it was the we- I don't know why we did this, and I don't know if it's a common thing or not. But every Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandma's house at like eleven o'clock, and we would eat oyster stew. It is weird, and it was it was just as terrible as it sounds. <laughs> have you guys ever had oyster stew? Good for you guys, man. But so it was weird and it was gross, but it was like our tradition. So we didn't like, it wasn't Christmas without it. Do you guys have any weird traditions? Throw them out there. No. Man, I guess my family is just weird. Um, I remember we would have, I grew up in the Lutheran church. So every Wednesday night we'd have our Advent services. Um, I love just, you know, focusing on that. Uh, we had a Christmas Eve candlelight service. That was right before we went and had oyster stew. It was, uh, we had a real small church in the country, maybe like 30, 40 people in this old 100-year-old church in the middle of the country. We'd have a candlelight service. We'd sing Silent Night. And I just remember growing up, my sisters and I, we would have our candles and we'd like try to pour hot wax on each other and try to disrupt the service. Anyone else do that? Man. (laughs) Um, But in the midst of all of our traditions... In the midst of Santa and presents and decorations and Christmas carols and all of those things, I think it's important to just, sometimes it's, it's important to just sit back and remind ourselves of the insanity of the incarnation. It's crazy what happened. <laughs> and I love Santa, I love the reindeer, I love Rudolph, I love Buddy the Elf, I love all of that craziness. But when you actually just sit back and ponder what happened in the incarnation? It's absolutely insane. John 1, we all know this passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I love it because I think I referenced it in the first message that I gave you a few months ago, but that the, the, word, the word was with God. In actual Greek translation, the word with there is translated towards, which means he was ever growing in love and affection toward his Father. I love that. I love that interpretation because they were there from the, from the beginning. You know, how do you find beginning when he has no beginning? He's the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God is the beginning. He has no beginning. He's uncreated. So there he was, the word, the father, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in eternity, ever growing in love and affection for each other, growing closer and closer and closer and closer. And then you go down to John 1, verse 14. It says that same word that was with the Father from eternity past, that word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, walked the earth among us, became a part of that which he himself created. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God became 
human. God became human. The psalm says he wrapped himself in light as a garment, but he came wrapped in skin. Is that not, does that not blow your mind? Like, just think about that for a second. That's a huge step down. And I just wonder what the angels were thinking as they were watching this whole plan unfold when, when Jesus left the throne of his father and stepped down, put his glory aside, stepped down, and came as a baby wrapped in flesh. What were the angels thinking? Like, what's he doing? Oh, <laughs> you're crazy. What, God, what are you doing? What, what's, what is going on here? I love one of my favorite Christmas hymns, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. God with us. He came to make God approachable. Isaiah 9 for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Sometimes when I just sit back and I think about all of this, I wonder, why? <laughs> why would you do this, God? Like, why? Why? And what I, I want to talk about this morning is why Jesus? <laughs> why would he do what he did? Why would this be the plan? Let it rain, Lord. <laughs> I think number one, the plan was so that God can showcase his humility. He could have come as a mighty king. In fact, everyone back then expected their Messiah to come as a mighty king, a mighty warrior king that would take over and restore heaven back to earth, establish the kingdom of heaven on the, on the earth. And that's still coming. That's still going to happen. Most people back then didn't have a paradigm of a two-visit Messiah. <laughs> they thought he was coming, he was going to restore everything and then come back. Um, So that's still coming. But even if he had come as the mightiest of kings, as you know, he had a whole kingdom and servants and everything, even if he had come like that, it would still have been the greatest act of humility ever in the history of the universe. Even if he had come to be the, 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 the biggest king in all of the world and ever, in all of human history, it still would have been the greatest act of humility ever displayed. But Jesus, the word, took it even a step further. Instead of coming in glory, thank you, he came in silence. <laughs> he came to the unsuspecting. He came when there was no room for him to come. He came in the midst of oppression, born in the lowliest of places, born in an innkeeper's probably manure-filled barn out back, <laughs> laid in a cattle feeding trough, 
That is the humility of God on full display. Sometimes we, we think of the, the movie or the, the movies of the, of the nativity scene and, all, and it's like this romanced version of what actually happened. I'll tell you something, childbirth ain't pretty. <laughs> Not that I've experienced it, but, <laughs> but I, I mean, what happened that night was insane. When they went to find a room, there was literally no room for them. They went out to a barn back in someone's backyard gave birth to the Messiah and there was nothing, there was no room for them so they just laid him in a feeding trough, in a manger. That's God. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who created the stars and hung the earth on nothing, stretched out the heavens like a curtain. There he is lying in a manger. Crazy. I love this passage, Philippians 2. Um, It says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. He was in the form of God, yet he emptied himself of that form by his own free will. It says, no one takes, he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay, my, I lay my life down of my own accord. He emptied himself. He showed his humility on his own accord. I love that about Jesus. He didn't make himself any less God, but simply emptied himself of his form of God that he had been in from eternity past. He made himself of no reputation, coming in the, in the form of a servant, washing our feet, coming to our level. He met us at our level. <laughs> He's humble. He's humble. So number one, to showcase his humility. Number two, and this is pretty obvious, he had to make atonement for our sins. To give us forgiveness, to show us what that sacrifice looks like. There was justice in the Father's heart that demanded a blood sacrifice for sin. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. In fact, if you read through the the Levitical law, it actually goes in detail about how, um, how they were to operate their blood sacrifices for an atonement for their sins. In Leviticus chapter 17, it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life inside it. And what they would do is every once a year, they'd have this day called the Day of Atonement and they would take their bulls and their goats and they would make a sacrifice that would, they would spill the blood of their best livestock and it would cover their sins for that year until the next day of the atonement and, when they, and they would repeat the process. But Jesus is the eternal sacrifice. When Jesus came, he came to make one final sacrifice once and for all. Hebrews 10, it says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time to those who are being sanctified. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came as a man because by man sin entered the world and through sin death. And therefore it, was, it had to be a man who, who rid the earth of sin. And I, Isaiah 59 says, there was no intercessor. God looked down from heaven. He said, there was no intercessor. There was no one to stand in the gap. There was no one to cry out for truth. So therefore, his own arm brought forth salvation. It was the, the wisdom in the heart of God that there was no, all have fallen short of the glory. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it was the, the wisdom in the Father's heart to send his son. It was his own arm that brought forth salvation to make atonement for our sins. By Jesus, his son, the word from everlasting becoming a man. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Number three. This, this struck me this week as I was, as I was uh, meditating on the incarnation and asking these questions why. I, I feel like the Lord said it was because I wanted to put my mercy on display. Think about this for a second. This is my opinion as to how things happen, but I was just meditating on this and God is never changing. He's always been faithful in his character, in his attributes, and in his infinite existence from eternity past, he has always been merciful. But until the fall of man, there was never an opportunity for him to show the fullness of his, of his mercy on display like that. Does that make sense? There was never an opportunity for God to show his mercy because there was no need for it. And so, and not that God made Adam and Eve sin, but I think that God delighted in the opportunity to put his nature on display to redeem mankind back to him by showing us mercy that he didn't have an outlet to do before. I think that's so beautiful. And I think uh, some people would ask me, well, what about the angels? When they, why didn't God redeem the angels? And uh, I was thinking about that. When a third of the angels rebelled against God, he didn't do anything because of the nature of his purpose for them. He related to the angels in terms of service and servanthood. You think of angels and they're messengers, they're warriors, um, they're ministering spirits. They're, they relate to God in terms of service. But God created us, he relates to us in terms of love. Why didn't God redeem the angels? Because it wasn't for love that he created the angels. He created you with a dream in his heart that he would be with you forever because he loves you. The reason we were created in the first place is for love. And then this question kept coming up to me, but why did God give Adam and Eve the opportunity to sin in the first place? Why was this opportunity even placed before them? I believe God gave Adam and Eve the option, as he does with all of us, because he wanted love in return to be voluntary. If love isn't voluntary, is it actually love at all? If we don't choose him, is it actually love? In my opinion, if it's not voluntary, it's slavery. 
God did not create us to be his slaves. He created us to choose him out of the goodness because he's so good that we would choose him above all else. He created us for love. And I believe God delighted, not that he delighted in our sin, he did not delight in the fall of man, but he so delighted in the opportunity to display this unique expression of his mercy towards us. And I think that's so beautiful. And number four, I believe that Jesus came to sympathize with us. Hebrews chapter four says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Bible calls Jesus our kinsman redeemer. He is our kin, he is our brother. He went through this life and was literally tempted in every way. And can you imagine the assault of the enemy on the life of Jesus? I think the enemy knew this plan from the beginning. <laughs> can you imagine Jesus in the flesh and just the assault and the lies and the temptation and the accusation coming against him every single day for his entire life, just knowing that if he committed one sin, one fault, one blemish in his character, that the plan would fade. <laughs> Can you imagine the all-out assault from the enemy on the life of Jesus? But Jesus was a man of vision. He knew the end of the story. I think Jesus had memories of his eternity past with his father. In fact, I know he did. In John 17, he said, Father, I desire that the ones you've given me would be with me where I am, that they would share in our glory that you and I have shared since the beginning of time, since, since eternity past. And Jesus knew that his 33 years on the earth was just a mere moment, a glimpse in light of eternity. And at the end of the day, he knew he would have a bride. 33 years of denying of self for billions of years for his dream to come true. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Some, I think we can relate that to ourselves too. Sometimes it's so hard to, you know, with all of the things that come at us, the journey, the struggle that we go on in our lives, the temptations that come at us. Lord, I can't deny this anymore. I'm just gonna go with it. <laughs> the temptation's too strong. I'm just gonna go with it. But when we, when we actually have an eternal mindset, like Jesus did, he was such a man of vision. When we, when we walk into those situations with an eternal mindset and we say, Lord, I, this is hard, but I'm going to deny this temptation because it's only 70, 80 years in light of a billion years to come. Did you know that the, the choices you make in this 70 or 80 years on this earth, you will be reaping the benefits or the consequences of in a billion years from now? let that make you live differently. <laughs> you will be reaping the consequences or the benefits of, of the choices that you make in this time on, the, on earth, in your life. Jesus was a man of vision. His vision was at the end of the day, he would die a pure and spotless lamb, a sacrificial lamb to cover our sins, to make atonement for our sins once and for all so that he could steal back the keys of death and hell and have a bride with him for billions and billions and billions of years to come. That was the vision. That was the dream of his heart. You were the dream of his heart. Jesus was a friend of sinners because he could sympathize with them. 
He could sympathize with the weakness of the human frame. It was on full display in the garden the night before he was arrested. Just think of Jesus the night before he was arrested or the, the night that he was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane. He was praying. He was, you know, just battling in himself. So much anxiety. He knew what was coming in the next 24 hours. The, the arrest, the trial, the, the, the flogging, the whips, the, the crown of thorns. He knew all of that was coming. The nails, he knew it was coming and he was battling within himself because you know what? He could have called 10,000 angels to come and rescue him in that moment. He could have totally annihilated the Roman army in a moment. And Jesus, I just, I have this vision of Jesus praying in that first scene of the Passion of the Christ movie. You remember that? Where he's praying on that rock and he's sweating drops of blood. How many of you guys have actually ever been so anxious in your life that you've actually began to sweat drops of blood? And in the midst of all of that, saying, Father, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It's, if there's any other way, if it's ever possible, God, take this cup from me. I don't want to walk this path, but not my will. Not my will. Self-denial. Taking up his cross figuratively in that moment. And then in a few moments later, very literally, taking up a cross for the joy set before him. Not my will, but yours be done. Isn't it amazing that when we pray, that when we struggle, that when we go through temptations, when we walk through valleys, that we actually pray to a God who sympathizes with us. And I think that's the power of the incarnation. We have a God who has walked in our footsteps. He is a kinsman redeemer. He is actually right now a man. Jesus right now is a man. Our God who dwells in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, has blood coursing through his veins right now. He is a man forever. And that was part of the eternal sacrifice. He, he stepped down from his Father's throne wrapped in robes of light. He took on flesh as a garment. And it wasn't like he did the whole passion story. He died and went and stole the keys back and then resurrected, went back into heaven, and he returned to his old form. Jesus is a man in heaven forever. Your Savior, your God, is a man in heaven forever. In a glorified, resurrected body like you'll have one day forever. I think it's amazing that when we pray through our struggles, that when we pray through our valleys, that we have a God who does not stand at a distance. He's not far off. He's not stoic. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's a friend to sinners and he knows exactly what you're going through because the Bible says he was tempted in literally every single way. He knows exactly what it's like. He knows exactly the emotions that you're feeling and probably then some. <laughs> he knows the sting of betrayal. He knows the trap of temptation. He knows the snares of the enemy. He knows all of the emotional gamut that we feel day in and day out. But he resisted sin to the point of shedding his blood. And he knows our pain. I'm gonna invite the band back up. But I think the overarching theme of the incarnation. And these are just a few things that the Lord revealed to me over these last couple of weeks as I was preparing for this. Um, 
but the overarching theme of the incarnation in that God became a man was to make God accessible, to make God approachable. Because of Jesus, we now have direct access to an eternal God. Because of Jesus, death has been defeated. Did you know that you don't, you're never gonna die? <laughs> if you believe in Jesus, yes, you'll have a, an earthly death for a moment, but you're going to live forever. <laughs> you said yes to Jesus, you'd never die. Because he resurrected, you're going to resurrect. You will be alive forever, eternally in his presence. Death no longer has a sting. And that's what that verse means. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Because we don't have to feel, even when one of our loved ones die, we don't have to feel, if they, if they believed in Jesus, if they loved Jesus, we don't have to feel that sting of death. Yes, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. We grieve for a moment knowing that we're going to see them again. We know, we, when we die, we know that we actually have the promise of eternal life and resurrection. Death no longer has sting. Because of his blood, sin no longer has power over us. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. He's the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his person. I love it. I think it was Philip who asked Jesus in the Gospels. He said, Jesus, will you show us the Father? When are you going to show us the Father? And he goes, have I been with you so long that you still don't know? When you look at me, you've seen God. When you look at me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. Hebrews 10, verse 19, I'm gonna close with this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Church, I wanna tell you this morning, you have access by the blood of Jesus. Because of the incarnation, because he's the sacrificial lamb, because he made that eternal sacrifice, the Christmas story is beautiful but it's just the beginning of the story unto a beautiful end. The end of the story is that death is defeated. The end of the story is that sin is powerless. The end of the story is that you, maybe though you walk through a valley for a certain amount of time, you walk through it victorious. The end of the story is that you are presented before God, pure and spotless, without blemish, as a, as a holy bride for Jesus at the end of the day. And so this morning, I just... I don't necessarily feel that we need to come to the altar. I don't necessarily feel like I want to do an altar call this morning, but what I want us to do is just come before the throne with hearts of gratitude. For the atonement of our sins. That we have a high priest who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses.
we have a God who shows us mercy. We have a God who shows us humility. Would you stand for a moment? Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.